Welcome to Oh My Dollar, a personal finance show with a dash of glitter. Dealing with money can be scary and stressful. Here, we give practical, friendly advice about money that helps you tackle the financial overwhelm. I'm your host, Lillian Kerbake, and today I am joined by Nicole Merrill. But first, this show is supported by listeners like you through our Personal Finance Society, which is a fancy name for our Patreon members. You can join up with other Oh My Dollar community members to support episode transcripts, live streams, and more by making a pledge of $1 or more per month. Patrons get cool perks like cat stickers, discounts, and a special badge in our forums. Thank you to our newest patron who joined this week, David. To learn more, you can visit ohmydollar.com slash support. We talk a lot on this show about how personal finances aren't the same as they once were. Many of us are working in the gig economy. Less and less of us can expect benefits like pensions or to work in the same company or even the same field for our whole career. Many of us are working in jobs that didn't even exist when we graduated high school. The existing rules for work don't work anymore. To learn more about navigating this world, we're joined by Nicole Merrill. Thanks for joining us. Hey, good to be here. Nicole is the author of Punched Out in the Face, How to Upskill, Change Careers, and Beat the Robots. In her book, Nicole upgrades career advice for the future of work by translating the headlines about robots taking our job into a practical guide for our new world of work. Nicole excels in professional reinvention and non-traditional careers. As a liberal arts graduate, Nicole has written for Four Seasons and National Geographic Private Jet Tours, taught digital communication skills to global executives, and sold adventure travel programs in New Zealand. As the former associate director of the Career Development Office at Yale School of Management, she coached hundreds of MBA students through their career transitions. Nicole's speech on the future of work and upskilling while freelancing as a conversation designer and analyst at an artificial intelligence startup. You've had a career all over the place. <laughs> yeah. I get, I get that a lot. So I feel like we're, like we're kin here. <laughs> definitely. Uh, yeah. So I really, I really enjoyed reading your book. And particularly, I think one of the things that like I loved was you started talking about the value of a mediocre job. Yes. As someone that has enjoyed many of the mediocre <laughs> jobs I've had, because I know they're part of like an overall plan. Right, right. Uh, yeah. What is a mediocre job and what do you think the value of it is? Yeah, well, I, I love to, to celebrate that idea of mediocre job um, because it's really something that we've all experienced, right? Like we've all kind of gone, I would say the majority <laughs> of us, right? Like you, it's this job, it, 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 a mediocre job is personal, right? But generally speaking, it's something that where you're feeling like, you know, you're not valued, you're not um, making enough money, maybe the tasks are repetitive, they're not interesting, you're not being challenged, or maybe you just have a boss that you don't like. Basically, it's not a fit. It's mm -hmm. something that, that you know is not a fit and you're kind of just going... Why am I here? Yeah. Right? And that's a very personal feeling depending on where you're at. I've been in mediocre jobs plenty of times. I mean, I've had over 25 jobs in my career, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I added up all the jobs I had in my 20s and it was 40. Oh, yes. Usually yes. the average was 3.5 at a time. So, wow. yeah. Wow. One time I stood outside a PSU and just held a sign that says, how many jobs do you think you'll have in a lifetime? And I, I had post-it notes that people would just put up there and I had just insane responses. I had people that were upwards of 47 jobs that they expected to have in their lifetime. I, I mean, that one, I've definitely already yeah. had more than 47 <laughs> and they've ranged from yeah. like exotic dancer to organic farmer uh, to social worker, live in social yeah. worker. Like it's been all over the map. Yeah. Uh, but like, like mediocre job in addition to the fact that we've all had them. Mm -hmm. Like why, why should you have one? Like right. what, what's the value in it besides sure. like the paycheck? Maybe that's yeah. it. 
I mean, sometimes that is it. Sometimes we have to take jobs because we have bills to pay, right? Yeah. You, you don't really have a choice. Um, and I've certainly had those jobs. I would say the value is that it gives you, um, it makes you reflect, right? Yeah. I think we, you know, it, it, between our friends, right? We have a mediocre job and we complain and we say, you know, oh, I hate my job. I hate my boss. I hate these things. And actually, to the point, I love complaining. I'm pro-complaint, <laughs> okay? Like American culture doesn't really value complaining. We tend to wrap it up in a nice bow and say, no, everything's going to be fine. Um, but... Uh, once we get beyond complaining... You're not from the South originally, are you? No. Mm. Uh, yeah. We good in the Certain South? parts of the U.S. Okay. were real good okay. at complaining. <laughs> <laughs> so there you are. Uh, I need to move there because I really <laughs> enjoy a good complaint. Um, but once we get beyond the complaining, the idea here is that you take this, this space to reflect. Mm -hmm. And you take time for yourself and say, okay, this isn't for me. Then what is it? Mm -hmm. And that's the value of a mediocre job. You, it, it tells you. It's, it's staring at you in the face saying, this isn't it. So then if not this, what? And if you don't have the answer right away, that's completely okay. You know, one of the things that like I, when looking back on my work history, at one point I did this like really terrible exercise where I went through every job and why I left. Mm -hmm. And like 90% of them were like, it was a nonprofit and your contract ran out or they didn't have mm. money to pay you anymore. Yeah. But like, <laughs> but the a couple of the ones that like stood out where people had been like, I can't believe you left that job. Or like, you yes. know, like, why did you move on it? from that job, like I had like a really big name job in politics, like high, high level job during the 2016 election. And that job, in addition to being literally the, I used to take my clothes off for money and it was the Ooh. worst job I ever had yeah. uh, at the Democratic Party. Ooh. And, uh, but in addition to that, it clarified while it was a terrible experience being there and it had like a lot of repercussions beyond that for me because of stuff that happened there. Uh, the biggest value in it was that I walked out of there knowing exactly what oh, I don't want in a job. And that wasn't really a mediocre job. That was a job, though, where I learned why I went into it for the wrong reasons. Right. So, like, you know, it was a really hard decision to do it because I left a job I really loved um, and a boss I really loved. And the boss made a counteroffer and was like, but I oh. understand if you really need to go work on this election, <laughs> yeah. it looks like Trump is going to be the nominee on yeah. the other side. And, like, you know, my boss was sort of like, I, you know, I, I would hate to lose you, but I get if you want to yeah. leave. Um but I took it for prestige. I took it for yep. access. And it turned out that that couldn't compensate for right. all the downsides of right. it. And one of the big things for me, too, was that I'm so used to working in extremely flexible environments. It turned out I didn't like working in such a regulated industry. Because if you work for the party, yeah. like you literally, you can't even sit on any boards. Oh. You can't catch a ride home from a uh, a friend who happened to be at a rally for a candidate because it could be seen as endorsement on the party's behalf of yeah. that candidate. Yeah. Like that. Ooh, that's really strict. Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, and like different phones because you can't yeah. like call, you know, you, and that's just I'm like bristling just listening yeah, to this. Well, <laughs> if, if you're, if you're used to non-traditional work yeah. or like, if you're like me and you've mostly worked in really small organizations, right. it was really interesting to go into what is a really small state party, but is part of the larger right. democratic national thing. I'm, I feel like I'm I'm revealing too much about my past job, but like <laughs> one of the things is like I had just never worked in such a bureaucratic environment, right? Right. And I, I, but I learned it wasn't the bureaucracy because one of the key things was that I had a mediocre job that was just like I'm going to do this thing and I'm going to do it for three months. It's a temp job, mm -hmm. so there's nobody has an expectation right. I'm going to stay there longer than three and a half months on either side, right? Full time literally like clock in clock out kind of style desk job didn't have to move any heavy rocks i mean didn't have to take my clothes off i, I mean, just like yeah. open spreadsheets and i had this moment of like turns out it's not the bureaucracy that bothers me <laughs> i mean i i couldn't do this forever yeah, yeah. but like 
man, is it easy to just sit in a chair and like, I don't know, do some stuff in Salesforce every day. I like, mean, yeah. yeah. I mean, what I love about that is like you you learned like from that experience, right? Like, I don't think we talk enough about like we there's all kinds of people that talk about get your dream job and this is my dream job. But let's talk about those those crappy jobs. Right. And not only that, not just crappy jobs, but kind of the meh. Like, you're in a good, prestigious job. You're in a job that you think you should, like, people are like, oh, my God, I love your job. I've been in several of those jobs. And, you know, we leave jobs for different reasons. Sometimes yeah. you can have a great boss, great coworker, and the and the work is just not what you thought it would be. Yeah. Other times you can have, you can love the work but and love your coworkers, but your boss is just making your life miserable. I uh, So it's hard. I've heard the phrase before that people don't leave jobs, they leave bosses. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And that was definitely the case with the this particular yeah. Yeah. really awful job. Um, like, <laughs> you know, it, it. I think one of the things for me too about mediocre jobs is that sometimes they can create a lot of space in your life. So one of the mm -hmm. things you were talking about was having this job and that you just left it at work, right? Mm -hmm. Like, yep, yeah, exactly. you, like you can clock out at the end of the day and not think about it until you Absolutely. come home. And I've had a lot of very cool jobs that I literally never stop thinking right. about. Right. And right. like I'm in the shower and I'm worried about stuff about that job. And right. like, there's a value in being able to just, Absolutely. you can just work. check out, right? Like that ability to go to work and just be on autopilot. Like, that gives you space then when you go home. Maybe you get to be creative. Maybe you get to try something else. Like, yeah. maybe you want to try out a side hustle or start something new just to, it's like an experiment, right? Before you dive into something, a new job, a new career. Like, it gives you the space for that. Yeah. Okay, so you moved out of this mediocre job. Mm -hmm. Tell me the story of getting from the mediocre sure. job to the dream job. Yeah, so I was at the time, this was during when the economy crashed. I was fresh off of grad school thinking I was going to land in some you know, probably a nonprofit doing international relations. I am liberal arts and language and culture and I'd lived abroad and like these were my dreams. And then the economy crashed and I was living on, you know, my best friend's couch. Yeah. And yeah, a lot of us had that yeah, experience. Yeah, right? <laughs> Very familiar. And um, I, uh, look how far we've come. Um, so, so I got back. Um, I had been out of the country for two years. It, grad school came back. Um, I was working temporary work because I've always fallen back on temporary office work. And the problem with temporary work is that you're paid less than everybody else. And then you're at the bottom of the food chain. Yeah. So I was doing administrative assistant work. That in itself is not mediocre work. A lot of times admins are power brokers inside yeah. an organization. Don't forget. Uh, <laughs> it was a, it was not a good job. And um, I was bored. I was bummed out. You know, I had huge expectations as you do. And they were coming crashing down. And um, I ended up spending a lot of time <laughs> while I was on the job on Twitter. Um, and this was when Twitter wasn't really, you know, big. And I was basically reading articles. I've always been a voracious reader. Reading them, sharing them. And I was doing it in um, for the in international education industry, which is where I wanted to go at the time. My dream yeah. job was study abroad advisor in a university. Later became not my dream job, but okay. <laughs> and I'd been tweeting and tweeting about, you know, all these articles. And an ed tech startup based in London saw my tweets. The CEO reached out and said, hey, I really like what you're doing would you be interested in um this job and at the time it was a remote job when like remote jobs didn't really exist oh yeah when i got it people were like is this real it's a scam it's a scam what do you right. mean you don't go to work like what do you mean you're just on <laughs> skype i don't you know no one believed me until they actually flew me over and yeah. they were like oh this is real so i got that job and or, or you just someone is elaborate scam yeah, right <laughs> huge scam well you could fly me to london that's fine sure, i'll go on your sure, scam I'll, I'll take your yeah, scam yeah yeah I'll, I'll you know double check and as long as you weren't expected to pay for the ticket and then, yeah, 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 oh, yeah. we'll send you a wire right. transfer. No, you paid for it up front? Good, I'm going to London. <laughs> Safety check. So, like, how did you feel 
when you got this? Like, did you know, was this really what you were looking for? Or was, was this just like you were tweeting and yeah. then this person was like, you're interesting. Yeah, well, I think it was, um, the beauty of it was that it was not what I was looking for. It was adjacent to what I was looking mm-hmm. for. And I think, um, you know, a lot of times we think of like our dream job, our only goal, but what it did was open me up to like the idea of different possibilities yeah. than what I was actually looking for. And I evaluated it and yes, it was new. And yes, it was a little bit nerve wracking because again, like, you're a London-based startup, like what, who are you? But I knew like it was interesting, like the job in itself, I was building relationships with universities. I was working on new technology at the time was pretty cutting edge. And it it was really interesting. And for me, I was working with people from different backgrounds. I was working from people with different countries. We had a team, you know, in, in, in different countries and across the world. And I was contacting universities across the world. So, I mean, it was, it was really interesting. And it was also like, there were elements that were close to the supposed 100%. dream dream job yeah, that you yeah. wanted. Yeah. And it got me out of that job. It got me out of my mediocre <laughs> job. So you better believe I'm going to go work for this international job versus sitting at a desk all day getting food orders for everybody. If that hadn't ended up being a dream job, yeah. what do you think you would have done? Like, Because that was one of the situations yeah. I was in where I took a job. I left a job I really liked mm-hmm. to go to a different job and it didn't work. Yeah. Um, and I'm kind of curious what you think you would have done. I think that's a good question. I think I would have, so just so you know, that also didn't work. Mm. Like that startup went down in glorious flames because the CEO ended up embezzling funds. Oh, great. So, so it was a scam. <laughs> it was just a longer long running con, scam. Long con. Your um, checks cleared yeah, at least well. And then. they did. <laughs> like towards the end, I was all, uh. And I knew, I actually started to see it and started to jump ship. And from that job, I actually got the study abroad advisor job. Oh, yeah. Um, and ended up working at um, Foster School of Business in University of Washington. So, mm. Like, in the end, it worked out. I think I would have still pursued it, but it's still, you know, I was so, at the time, just just kind of like, this can't be the only job. Like, I've got to, I've got to broaden my, you know, perspectives here. So right. I knew that was happening. I just didn't know what the result could be. I've always been an opportunist. I mean, before yeah. that, I'd sold adventure travel in New Zealand. Right. You know what I mean? So, like, I've always kind of been the person who's like, well, I don't know. We'll try this. So I knew something would come along, but I think there's a lot more pressure once you start, you know, doing things like going to get a degree and yeah. you start going... Yeah, but like I invested in this, so now I need to to right. make it work. And everyone else is telling you that, right? Yeah, no, totally. They're <laughs> like, I think one of the things that, the advice that I end up giving to so many, so since I went to a liberal arts school yeah. and I, I still teach personal finance there as like my alumni service to the college, Yay. also because I worked at Career Services all four years I was yeah. there and my old boss was like, hey, remember all those recommendations <laughs> I wrote for you? You're coming back. Get in here. <laughs> I, you owe me some favors. One of the things I say to students that come to me and they're like, I really want to get into like what you do. And I'm like, mm-hmm. one, what do you think wow. I do? Yeah. Because I do do a lot of things yeah but also like a lot of them will get this extremely narrow idea that like I'm an economics major with a film minor and therefore all I want to work on <laughs> is like studying you know the I want to make films that are specifically about the crash of of developing economies okay. or something you know like and they'll get their this uh, this idea in their head that there there is a dream job yeah and that anything that isn't this idea they've created in their head of a dream yeah. job is a a failure of yeah. their plans. Right, right. And I spend a lot of time being like, there are elements about any job that you can enjoy right. if you know what qualities you want in the work that you're doing, right? right? And also I think, um, especially in like the more creative fields, we tend to get really caught up in this concept that our 
passions have to be our main work well, all yeah. of the time. Yeah. Um, and that, it, I saw it a lot with like student activists mm -hmm. who'd be like, well, all I care about is blocking pipelines. So all I can right. do is make films about blocking pipelines. Right. And I'm like, that's excellent work. Right. But at the same time, maybe a job that you can work at remote yep. while you go hang out in Nevada and work on yep. pipeline blocking films might actually make you happier right. than, you know, the hand to mouth situation that right. you're going to be in as a new filmmaker yeah. making not commercially viable films. Right. You know, and that, that's one of the things that like, I feel like is challenging to get across to people in their early twenties. Absolutely. And then I feel like on the flip side, if you're in on the edges of the millennial generation, you're an Xennial or mm -hmm. a Gen X person. I, I feel like s there's so many pervasive myths that have been handed down to us from generations oh, yeah. that it just doesn't <laughs> apply anymore, right? And yeah. we, we deal with this with personal finance yeah. all the time where it's yeah. like, oh, you should invest in your 401k. Sure. And I'm like, what 401k? <laughs> yeah, you know, like who just has a job? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Like who has a job with that anymore? Or yeah. like, oh, you should have been able to pay for school by working in the summers. And oh. I'm like, yeah, that was great when school was $2,000 a year. Um, well, and I mean, I hear you on that. That was the, uh, the exact motivation I had to write this book because I was absolutely tired of the old school career advice. Yeah, yeah. Right? That, that we're still pretending we're in one job forever. That, you know, we just get into a company and we just go. One thing that I think we both fall into the risk of mm -hmm. is that people see you as a job hopper. Yes. And there's been this pervasive, I don't know if it's a myth, but this stigma against yes. job hopping. Yes. And um, I something I found very interesting in your book was that you were yeah. just essentially like, get over it. Yep. Get over the 100%. job hopping, hopping stigma. I will also say, as someone who has a lot of organizations on my resume mm -hmm. um, and like have a very cleaned up version, depending on what industry I'm applying to. Good job. One of the big things for me is that like, it doesn't seem to hurt me. Like I right. have, <laughs> I have more it people doesn't. coming to me wanting to pay yes. me than I have time to yes. do it all in. So, Same. <laughs> <laughs> so, but like, how do you suggest people get over either their own internalized right. stigma against being a job hopper? Because I know people that have stayed at jobs till they get to the two-year mark that they've hated, Absolutely. even when they have oh, other options breaks available. Breaks my heart. Yeah, yeah. It breaks my heart. How do you think you either get over your internalized stigma and like, how do you think you prep like your resume or your sure. outreach if you are trying to move industries or you have like a lot of two-year stints abroad? Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, coming from a, I like to tell, I have been honest with employers and, you know, told them, yet I've addressed it outright and said mm -hmm. like, look, it may look like from, you know, my resume that I've moved around a lot, but here's what I've actually done. Mm -hmm. And so what I do is I take control of the narrative. Mm -hmm. I, I reshape the narrative and I say, this is what I bring to the table. And I don't give them a chance to form their own narrative. And I do that in cover letters. I do that in the way that I tell my story. Yep. Um, I think one of the most, um, underrated tools we can use in, in our job search and, and our career is storytelling. I tell you what, when I got to Yale school of management, I all of a sudden was training, you know, elite students and nobody had taught me the tools that I was then teaching elite students. I had had to figure everything out on my own. And one of those tools was professional storytelling. Mm. How do you wrap your experience in a nice tidy package and give it to an employer? And once I discovered that, I was all, get out of here. Yeah. Now I've been doing it forever, right? But I had to put it together on my own. I have a communications background. So yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. You know, I tell stories, but that's what you have to do. So, so. Getting used to like saying, okay, you know, I may have left my job because, you know, maybe you left your job because you hated your boss. Well, tell the next employer you left your job because there was no opportunities for growth. Yeah, yeah. 
right? right. Of course you're not going to grow in a company where you hate your boss, right? right? Like, right. you know, and so getting comfortable with that idea of telling your own story and tell it again and again to people in your cover letter, I think that's how, you know, to the second part of your question, the internal part is wrecking, is knowing that the world of work has changed. To give you a really good example, Harvard Business Review just came out with an article um, back in September, I think it was, that was on cross-silo leadership. And it was targeted to leaders, but basically it said, like, look, as an emerging leader, you need to um, make sure that your employees are no longer siloed. You need to create projects where they work across disciplines, where they, they're they working cross-functional, they're working with each other, because the, the problems that we have now in the workplace are complex. Yep. They require multidisciplinary thinkers. And guess what? you're a job hopper, you're interdisciplinary. Yeah. You're collecting skills. That's the other way I pitch employers. I say, look, here are the skills that I have. Here's what else I'm going to bring to the table. And they're like, shut up. Nobody else has that. Right. Right? So it's really being able to reflect on what do you bring to the table and get beyond that, like, I am a job title. Right, right. Right? Well, and that, I mean, I think that's one of the- We weren't raised that way, though. Right. We were, uh, well, and I think untying your identity from, yes. from your job title- is extremely challenging for a lot yeah. of people. And like one thing that we talk about on this show too is like untying your self-worth from like the amount of money you make. Right. And I think like identity as part of work is a large part of the American experience. Definitely. And um, I think it's uh, very challenging for a lot of people because, you know, I, one of my favorite things is to find out what in each city I go to, what people ask you first. Oh, yes. So oh, like yes. when I lived in <laughs> India, the first thing they'd ask you is what's your religion and are you married? Yeah. Like, a person you've never met right, before right. on the bus. <laughs> and I I just had to accept like, oh, yeah. okay. Um, and, you know, in in New York, it would be, what do you what do? do? You yeah. And uh, in DC, it would be, who do you work yeah. for? <laughs> and, and in London, it was very interesting because London, I always thought, oh, this is a company town. But it's a lot like New York where... Um, people do work a lot in London, or less so with Brexit now. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> but they uh, they seem to have their identity in like a broader way than yeah. outside of yeah. the. Um, I also felt like I was in a pretty international crowd in London, and so quite often people would be like, "Oh, where are you from?" Yep. would come up more, a lot more in international context because yeah. no one from London originally. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Unless you're in certain parts of the East yeah. End. Uh, other than that, yeah. like no one's from <laughs> London originally, and and so. I think the um I think untying identity from work ends up becoming very important when it comes to like job hopper cuz yeah. I view myself as someone that has implicit skills mm -hmm. and that's part of the reason that I end up being hireable across Absolutely. a bunch of different yep. cuz like one of the things we were talking about is like my marketable job skill is I'm good at quant stuff yeah. because I have an econ degree I prefer to use it as a tool in a role mm -hmm. than my whole job be right. doing quant stuff. Like right. I wouldn't want to be a data scientist all day, right. but I'm very happy to run SQL for 20 hours a week in service of a different goal. Right. right? So right. like, and I think that, that that's such a healthy way to look at it. And I think more people are starting to look at it that way. Right. Previous generation, it was all about the identity, but we're seeing the fracturing of these jobs, right? We're, we're seeing new job titles yeah. come about. And so what does that mean? These new job titles, we don't always know. And so it's hard to, hard to attach yourself to an identity when, when these identities are shifting on their own. So right? in, your, in your book, you've talked about like hybrid jobs. Yes. And I feel like we're kind of circling around that concept. Yeah. What's your definition of a hybrid job? So a hybrid job is essentially um, a new type of role that com um, combines functions and skills from traditional roles. So for example, a lot of hybrid jobs will be, it includes a technical skill, an analytical skill, and then um, a communication skill, people skill. So um, if you look at uh, jobs, so for example, you have like um, people that do, that work with data, but also um, create stories around them. So mm -hmm. they, they 
help management understand what the data means, data translators. Yep. It's not really a job title, but that's their function, what they're right. doing, right? And you're doing analysis. You're probably using you know, SQL or um, Python to analyze data. And then you're, you have the communication skills to present, to um, understand the business objectives, and so on. That's right. a great example. I currently freelance as a conversation designer and analyst for a chatbot, which means... Such a cool yeah. thing to work on. <laughs> yeah. And definitely and, a job that didn't exist 10 years oh, ago. absolutely not. Like, <laughs> and, and even recently, right? Like, this is a brand new job. It's very cutting edge. And in fact, when I saw the job description, it wasn't at all written for me. And I was like, no, nah, I can do that. Because I've had a lifetime of, you know, applying yeah. my skills in new contexts. And it's really interesting to look at this job because I split my time between three different departments. I sit on an artificial intelligence team and the one of the only non-engineers on the team. And I have to communicate my results across multiple departments. Mm -hmm. And yet I'm also quantifying my results. I'm looking at the tech. So I understand the basics of the chatbot, um, the machine learning and the natural language processing. Don't worry about those if you don't know them. But the point is I learned about them. But yeah, I yeah. didn't learn how to code them. Right. right. And that's an example of a hybrid job. And we're just seeing them everywhere. So what this has to do with the future mm -hmm. work is that largely you're trying to work yourself into roles that robots can't do. Exactly. Because robots aren't very good at explaining things no. to humans. Terrible. Like, we <laughs> tell them what to do. Yeah. I mean, I and, make chatbots better because they can't do it. Yeah, right, like, right. Because the machines can't do and it. So do you, do you largely think, like, if we're trying to beat the robots, mm -hmm. uh, is that the kind of part of, like, look at the places in your job yes. that aren't replaceable? Yes. And in fact, I, I want to clarify, too, because a lot of times I use the title Beat the Robots as kind of a placeholder because everyone talks about robots. What it really means is automation tools. That yeah, is yeah. software. You know, it's not like like the robot's going to sit down next to you and be like, hey, what's happening, right? Like, yeah, it's yeah. automation software that's slowly eating away at repetitive tasks. Yep. And it's really hard to see in the organization if you're not looking for right. it, right? Oh, I there's so many things I used to bill for when I first, like, even just, like, I used to do freelance web design when I was uh -huh, a teenager. Uh -huh. And uh, there were so many things I build for now that I can do in 10 oh, seconds. Oh, I know. That a, that a teenager on a smartphone can do yeah. that used to be all of the time I build a client, yeah. right? You know, resizing photos Ugh. is a great example. We were not very good at resizing photos into different thumbnail yeah, sizes yeah. for a long time. <laughs> we couldn't do it with oh robots. God. And now the we idea- from the same generation. Yeah, the, the, I mean, the idea that you now put it on your phone right. and you can just, with your fingers, immediately right. see it in five different thumbnail sizes yeah. and scaled to every, you know, social yeah. media format. Like- I mean, that's a great example of something that, like, when you feel like something is a dumb use of your time, it's usually the thing that robots are going to yeah. replace. So, <laughs> so get this. Okay, I love that you brought that up because one of the things that happened to me and that made my shift in in kind of getting out of career coaching, um, career coaching is a traditional industry, um, right. but it's a people industry. And I remember... Um, I tell this story, uh, this story is actually not in my book, but um, a vendor came to Yale and they said, you know, came to our team and said, hey, I've got this platform. It is going to um, review resumes and correct them faster than anything you could ever do. And I went, no, come on. Like, I'm a language person. I'm a writer. You know, I was all, yeah. mm -mm, no way. And sure enough, he demoed it and I went, Okay, okay, yeah, you can do that better than I can do. Well, to be fair that most of the resumes are being read by robots now, right, too. That, exactly. I mean, that's, that's the other thing is, like, I've always worked in really small organizations mm -hmm. that definitely don't have any kind of machine learning. Right. They don't use any of these resume review right. bots that, like, government right. agencies and stuff right. now have to use. That was, like, w one of the most fascinating things to me is how different it is by industry. This kind of, like, advice. But obviously, if you're it's, applying to jobs that a lot of people are applying for, I don't, I don't apply for jobs. I, right. Like, let people 
tell me they want yeah. to hire me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Lovely position to be in. Well, and it's they nice. do it for efficiency, I'm not right? very good like, at getting paid well, but yeah. I'm great at getting jobs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so like even LinkedIn the other day, I noticed um, my partner hadn't been on LinkedIn in forever, never uses LinkedIn, and never filled out a survey, uh, um, excuse me, a summary, popped up, and then all of a sudden she's like, oh, uh, LinkedIn has written my summary for me. <laughs> And I was like, get out of here. Now it reads like a terrible corporate objective statement, yeah. but it works. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, there's another thing that, again, this is writing. And if you look at career coaches, they they have packages based yeah. on writing LinkedIn. So it's like little by little. And the goal here, if you're looking for hybrid jobs, is to start, think, start getting curious yeah. about what's actually happening and then looking between the lines. Yeah. All right. So- this is one of the like questions I have that I think speaks to some of our listeners. Like, yeah. what is your advice to someone that like understands that their industry is like dying or mm -hmm. changing and like their particular role is gone? Right. Maybe they've been pushing things into InDesign documents, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. you know, and they're like, a robot's going to be doing this right. in five years. Um, and they're like in an industry that is like rapidly changing, like publishing or something. Yeah. But they're like the close to the end of their working career. Maybe they've got like 10 years before right. retirement. What is your advice to someone that kind of grew up in this traditional career advice world, has spent most of their time in a career, and is, like, looking to keep similar income levels, right? but wants to find another job, but, like, all of their specialization, they have been in that specialization yeah. track. Yeah. How, do they, how do they get out of that? So a couple of different things you can do. One, I just want to like recognize how real that is. Um, I hear from a lot of people across generations, but specifically people that are in generations where that's what they've, they've done the one thing forever. Yeah. And, um, you know, ageism is real uh, in the workforce and in the hiring. And so I want to acknowledge that. Like we, we tend to talk about meritocracy, but ageism is real. Right. Um, and so those can be barriers to even making a move, right? Yeah. Because the fear of that. Um, so I want to just address that. Um, regardless of that, like it's not going away. So that shouldn't be a bear that shouldn't be a reason not to to change um the second thing i would start with was embracing curiosity because a lot of us have been taught you know follow your passion follow your passion there's value in following your passion but on the flip side passion can be crushing right because it can be paralyzing because if you if you're a type of person who's like i don't know what my passion is you're just stuck right Right. It, and it so turns out that advice doesn't work very well. Or if no. your passion is like, you know, making tiny jackets for bees or something. I mean, has a limited market. My passion <laughs> is like laying in hammocks or playing pinball. Like <laughs> this is not going to get me anywhere. So, so, you know, you've got to get beyond passion. And so I regularly I talk about this in the book, but follow your curiosity and it can start small. Start thinking about, okay, you know, if not this, what, right? What's interesting? What is, what's got your eye? And um, one of the exercises in my book is to keep a curiosity journal for a week, you know, and just write down all the things that make you curious. Because if you haven't done it for a while, it can feel like, well, I don't know, right? Yeah, like, yeah. Right, but really, really uh, embrace that. The second thing too is building on curiosity is to start understanding this technology. A lot of people I hear from are like, oh, I hate it, I hate it, I hate AI, I hate it. Good, so, you know, there's a lot of dystopian stuff and I'm actually on the dystopian side. I think there's a lot of dystopian right. AI technology out there, but it's not going anywhere. So the more you know about it, the better off you're going to be. Right. Then we have never been in a better time for someone who wants to learn new skills. 
It's true. The amount of, of knowledge out YouTube there. YouTube University is a Thank great you. university. I mean, I'm not, I didn't start in AI. I started with a podcast. I started with um, YouTube videos. I, I subscribe to industry newsletters. Um, I like to tell people, like, replace 20 minutes of scrolling with 20 minutes of a podcast or a newsletter or a video. Right. From in your day. And you'd be surprised what you could learn, even when you don't know what you want to do. Yeah, yeah. Right? Like, this is just about planting seeds right now. These are baby steps, right? Because I'm just taking the assumption here, people are just like, well, I don't know what, right? Because people can feel paralyzed. So one thing that I did when I was, like, considering, like, a bunch of people for a long time are like, oh, you should get into the financial world. You should be a financial advisor because, like, my background was, like, donor relations. And, like, I was teaching personal finance classes. And so I was like, oh, okay, I'll look into it. And I listened to one podcast with a financial advisor who talked about the business side, and I went, Nope, 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 nope. I went, I went like this. Literally, sounds like all the things I hate about exactly. my job. Yeah, like it doesn't. And that's so valuable, yeah, right? Which was like, I, it was so great because it shut down this constant stream yes. of like people were regularly being like, "Hey, do you want me to connect you with my friend that like runs a queer like financial advisory yeah. firm?" And I'd yeah. be like, I'd be like, "Oh no!" And it turns out like the media side was like way more fun to mm-hmm. me, right? And like the last thing I wanted to do was have to cold call people yeah, and be yeah, like, yeah. "Do you need a retirement account?" Um, and yet there it is. There's that expert exploration process right you know that that ability to be like explore something and be like oh no yeah like I have you know that's valuable and I'll say one more thing the find your community mm. we have so many learning communities for all kinds of identities for all kinds of backgrounds um find them connect with them a lot of times people tend to go at this alone and you don't need to be alone find your people Go to learning events. You know, I know we always push networking. This isn't about networking right now. It's about learning. Go yeah. see speakers. Get inspired. Talk to the person next to you. Right? And 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 fill yourself up with people who have either done this, who are thinking about doing this, or who are in the industry that can give you some, just give you some perspective. Yeah, I, uh, this is an, kind of an interesting example, and I won't say any names because I think she's anonymous on the forums, but someone on the Oh My Dollar forums was thinking about moving into a new field. And uh-huh. it's a field that actually isn't legal, quite legal yet. Interesting. So, or it's like only legal in some states, which it's it, it's treating um, like addiction with mushrooms. Oh, and yeah, it, yeah. like there's a lot of like studies coming out about it yeah. now. But the community is really, really small for people that are doing it. But that meant that being in LA, she was actually able to meet like some of the top names in the field by just going to a couple nights. There you are. And she was able to like, she was like, I'm not totally sure that I want to get into this yet. And, but also like, you know, as true with any new industry, there is a lot of like people, if they see a gold rush, they'll start popping up with like the, Hey, get your, get your credentials in this field. And she was able to actually talk to people to find out like what's a valuable credential and what's crap. And there you are. Right. Again, like you have to sort through these things, you know, people again, they get paralyzed because they don't know what they want to do, but you got to give yourself space for that ambiguity. Yeah. Right. Um, this is a quick reminder, just a totally weird transition, to the fact that this show is supported by listeners like you and was underwritten by the Tamsin G Association, Warrior Queen, and Galena S. To learn more about supporting the show, you can visit ohmydollar.com slash support. All right, we're back from break. Okay. <laughs> it was a very quick break yes. here in the studio. <laughs> uh, so uh, you also talked about the book that you specialize in, quote, drunk career coaching. <laughs> yeah. Do you have like a memorable drunk career? Co- can yeah. you walk us through? Yeah. yeah. So I, I was on the East Coast when I was a career coach, right? And the funny thing about being career, I'm no longer a career coach, but when you are a full-time career coach and on the East Coast, the first thing people ask you is, what do you so do? What do you do? Yeah. In a bar, it does not matter where you're at. And so naturally I'm like, well, I'm a career coach. And without fail, I'd say eight out of 10 times people are like, ugh. I hate my job. (laughs) 
And I was always surprised in the beginning. I was like, oh, tell me more, you know? And of course I'd be out. I remember, so I was based in New Haven, Connecticut, but I would travel down to New York to see my friends because why not? You got a free place to stay. And I would go out and my friends would be like, could you stop? Like, we're here to hang out (laughs) and you're just hanging out with strangers at a bar giving them advice, you know? And I was like, yeah, but I can't help it because like these poor people in their jobs, I feel so bad. Plus I love stories. Honestly, I love the hate my job stories. I do because it's like, you know, I, so memorable ones that stand out. I mean, I remember a guy. I remember a guy who who had kind of saddled up next to me and was like, "Hey, you got pretty eyes." And I was like, "Get out of here! This is like, why are you hitting on me? I'm also queer. I'm married. Like, hello. You know, also that's a lame. That's a lame pickup. Line. Yeah, come on, a, get out of here. It's not a great see one. That it's dark in here. You know, like, yes, I do have nice eyes. Thank you. But get get be clever. Come on. So and my I, favorite and, response to that was, "I've never seen an ugly pair of eyes." <laughs> I could have used you for that one. <laughs> you know? But I'm also an extrovert who talks to strangers, like, yeah. regardless of my... I picked that up yeah, from you. Weird, weird. <laughs> I feel like we're in a similar vein here. But, uh, so, I remember him being like, oh, like, because I, I don't know what I said. And he remember being like, oh, he's like, so what do you do? Naturally, as the next follow-up. And I told him, and he, he told me, and so we end up talking the usual, why do you hate your job, blah, blah, blah. And I asked the usual follow-up question, which is, how much longer do you think you can stay in a job like that? And it's a powerful question because mm. it, it causes you to reflect. And he went, oh. And I remember him being so taken aback. This was not what he expected. He's like, you know what? I can't. I'm going to quit tomorrow. <laughs> and I laughed. And he goes, you think I'm kidding? He goes, I'm quitting tomorrow. Wow. And I was like, okay. I mean, and part of me, the, the career coach side of me was like, oh, man, maybe we should work this out. And, like, and then the drunk side of me was like, no, nah, man, do what you need to do. Go yeah. for it. I'd love to hear about this, <laughs> you know? And I never found out what happened to him, but it was definitely one of those moments where it was like, did I cause that? Like, I don't know. Um, maybe you ended up I on like BuzzFeed. It. I don't know. <laughs> Here's the thing I will tell you is that everyone wants you to quit your job. Yeah. So if you solicit yeah. advice, especially from strangers, yeah. everybody wants you. I, I have I'm learned this. I'm rooting from you, for I, you. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, no, everyone, get out of there. Everyone is. I I had essentially a live feed going when I quit my really terrible political oh. job. I quit it in a slightly dramatic way. Oh. Um, there was a Trump pinata striped to the back of my cargo bike. <laughs> I also had a lot of TVs in my office because I was like the comms person. Uh um, And I may have played a certain YouTube clip about quitting on every single screen. (laughs) Was it it the one from Half Baked at all? No, no. It's one of my favorite ones. I can't repeat it here, but there's a memorable scene in that movie (laughs) where he, he, he quits and... Oh, it's glorious. I, I, I love stories about quitting. I had a friend who was uh, stationed in Seattle and is an officer in the Coast Guard who offered to come down and quit for me in uniform. Oh! <laughs> I will like, tell you, uh, yeah. everyone wants you to everyone, quit your job. Everyone does want you to quit your job. And uh, you know why? Because it's a good feeling. Yeah. When you walk out of a job that's like toxic or not for you, especially walking out of a toxic job, it is like it just washes over I you. I always, I'm. that was the only job I didn't really like. I love almost all my jobs. And oh, it's so I'm hard for me to, to quit. There so are some where the you're problem like, is I always have too many. Yeah, <laughs> that is, yeah, that is our, and truthfully, if you're leaving like, it can be real split emotions, you know. Yeah. You, you can love coworkers and love your work and and be so grateful you're done with that yeah. boss. Yeah. Right? Um, it's it's tricky, but to those people that are in toxic jobs and are just staying because it's good for their resume, I want you to get out. Yeah. Yeah. Before that two year mark. I would a hundred percent agree yeah. with that. Yeah. I also like I think there's a lot of I think there's a lot of people that are just 
really paranoid that they're not going to be employable yeah. again. And I, I think it often paralyzes them to start that Absolutely. curiosity process, Absolutely, yeah. you know, because they're like, oh, yeah. I will never be able to find a job. And I'm like, but you haven't, you haven't you really have looked. Yeah. Or you're looking, but you're only looking in your field right. that you already admit is dying. Yeah. Right. You yeah. know, like, so one of the things I always tell people is like, look, um, I hear things like, hey, I've applied to, you know, 50 jobs and I haven't heard anything. And yes, that could be a sign that maybe you need to try something different. But the other thing that I hear for, that I hear when someone says that is that you're lonely. You need to talk to people and have a human connection. Yeah. And people, especially now when you can just fire off a million resumes to a million jobs and just sit back and wait, like, like it's a lonely process. And you need to talk to people, especially in the in the in the initial phases of your exploration. Yeah. Um, one of the exercises I give in the book is called 50 Conversations, and mm. I assign that. Yeah. I want you to talk to 50 people. And I know that's crazy. I know it sounds crazy, but it is the, the ability to build relationships with people, to dive into their background and really get comfortable exploring is not only going to benefit you in your career, but you're also building relationship skills, conversational skills, yep. and it will benefit you in the job search, on the job. Well, and you also don't have to do it with people in any field that you're interested right. in. Because it turns out that people know people everywhere. Yeah, and they and, have stories. And they have stories, and or or they'll go... Oh, that reminds me yes. of my friend who does something yeah. that might be interesting yeah. to you. Or like, oh, I had no idea. Like, like I had no idea you had a film background yeah. because I've only ever known you as the vendor who brings right. in my water bottles. Right. This, right? We, we you make know? so many assumptions as people yeah. write about their backgrounds or going back to identity. You do this thing, so that's what you do. Yeah. But people carry all these other identities with them. They have hobbies. They have these, you know, sometimes it's about knowing people. Sometimes it's about they can simply be your cheerleader. Yeah. Right? Someone who is like into something and you're like, oh my God, I'm into that. And then you can just nerd out on something together. Yeah. That feeling is a feeling of hope. Right, right, <laughs> right. No, if totally. You're looking for to cling to something because you're feeling stuck. Well, and I would also say that, like, this is I've given this advice before, but like, most jobs are never posted right, publicly, and right. so if you're only applying to stuff on on websites, yeah. you're missing out on a huge network of yeah. jobs, right? Because hiring is exhausting. Yeah, and. If you're in the position of wanting to hire someone, you really don't want to post the job, right, right. Uh, especially like during the recession. I was in the position where I was like, I don't have the capacity as a hiring manager to go through 200 resumes. So if that's I can ask friends of friends for a couple right. recommendations and bring them in, yeah. that's what I'm going to do. Right. Yeah. You know, like and that. It, obviously for government jobs, almost everything's posted because there's requirements, but of like it, most jobs are in small firms. Yeah. Most jobs are in what's in, in the state of Oregon. Uh, two out of three people work for a micro enterprise, yeah. which means that it's l five or less people. Amazing. And that means that those jobs almost never get posted. Right. right? And so right. that's one of those things where it's like, it's very easy to be in that situation where you think that, uh, there's no jobs available, but yeah. it's actually just that you're not talking to people. Yeah, and you know, it's not even like, I get a lot of people like, yeah, that's easy for you to say when I do talks and stuff. They're like, well, you're an extrovert and I'm an extreme extrovert, yes. But we're so used to that framing, it's not about extroversion and introversion. Yeah. And I'll argue too that introverts actually have better interpersonal communication skills because they have what's called active listening skills. <laughs> <laughs> so they tend to be a little bit better of a conversational partner, yeah, right? As yeah. an extrovert, I've had to learn active listening skills. And so like, you know, this is about one-to-one -one communication. Right. Right? And and so this isn't about your ability to talk to a bunch of people. Right, right. right? No, that's like, that's one of the big things is like understanding that like the extrovert you see at the networking event and they're just walking around oh, and they're, yeah, you know, yeah. the, and, they're and terrible. it's easy, it's easy to be the introvert in their corner going like, 
but I can't make conversation with anybody. But like those giant networking events are probably they're, not the place no, for you. No, they're or terrible. My <laughs> favorite hack, if you can handle it, it depends on how much you can handle. Because some people can handle like a lot of very small yeah. transactions. That's why I love being the bartender at every fundraiser I'm yeah. at. Like I don't drink, I'm licensed, and I can sit there and I can <laughs> huh? see every person, but the transaction only lasts oh, about, you know, yeah. at the maximum 30 seconds. Yeah. Um, and I see every single person. Yeah. Um, and that's like my favorite place to be in. So one of my biggest like hacks to do if it's a good role for you is sit at the front desk and check people in because you usually get a free that ticket. That is great advice. And yep. um, you get a free ticket. It can work really well if you're doing on that education portion. So like in Portland, we have this thing called City Club Friday Forums. They're kind of pricey, but they're a great way to learn about different civic things. And Heck like yeah. it's free if you sit there and check people in as a volunteer. Yeah. And there's a lot of, like, that's a great example of an event with a ton of power brokers in every different kind of field. Right. Because the kind of people that have time-free Friday at noon to go to a thing about the city's policy on, you know, at-grade transit crossings are the <laughs> the kind of people that have yeah. that kind of job. Yeah, where, yeah you know, Yeah, and tend to be in a lot of industries. All right, Nicole, we are, like, extremely over time because oh, it's been so fun talking to you. I do like to ask this of every guest. It doesn't always make it in the final cut, which okay. is what is the best and worst financial decisions you've ever made? Okay, they both revolve around education. Mm. Uh, the best financial decision I ever made was to quit my full-time job and take a full ride to go to graduate school in a foreign country. Mm. Yeah, um, that which, was great. Which foreign country? Uh, well, it was a university based in Denmark. Mm -hmm. So I got to go to Denmark, but then the second year they're like, hey, go abroad for your internship. So I was like, cool, I'll go to Thailand. And then I ended up writing my thesis in Berlin. Yeah, nice, so, awesome. glorious idea. I, best yeah. decision I could have made, free graduate school. The worst one I made was, um, in retrospect, going to school in the U.S. Um, and going out of state. I wish I would have, um, honestly, I wish I would have known to go to a foreign country where it was cheaper. Yeah. Uh, and that's hard to say because I benefited from it and I have lifelong friends from my college um, times. I was a rugby player and there was, I mean, it was it was a wonderful experience. Higher education pricing is pretty broken in this country. It's we talk brutal. about it a lot on yeah, the show. Yeah, so <laughs> you could see where those regrets yeah. might come from. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I was blown away by, I studied abroad in Berlin mm. and I was blown away by how cheap it was yeah. um, comparatively. Like, really? And like, <laughs> I was still paying more than, I mean, it's now free for yeah. all Germans. Yeah. Um, and it's now free for foreigners to yeah. go to grad school in Germany if you can find either an English language program or yeah. you um, I mean, they're everywhere can learn once enough you know German. where to learn. Absolutely. Yeah. English language graduate school. If you're looking at graduate school, go to Europe. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's pretty great. Don't go to the UK right now. No. I, no, that one won't work. It's a mess. Um, <laughs> although if you're an American, it's like we're less screwed over by it. But the UK has never been cheap for I mean, Americans no, no, to go to No, definitely not. School. But compared to the US. Yeah, sure. Everything yeah. compared to the US. Great. Right? <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, if people want to find you online, find your book, where do they go? Um, so my book is available, Punched Out in the Face, is available anywhere where online books are sold. You could do Amazon. You could do Books a Million. If you don't want Amazon, um, you can also find me at my website, Nicole Merrill, which has a lot of doubles in it. So <laughs> N-I-C-O-L-L-E-M-E-R-R-I-L-L.com. And um, you can find me on Instagram at 50 Conversations with the number 50. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And we'll, we'll link to everything in the show notes. So if you're listening to the podcast, just check that out. Or if you're... <laughs> Reading the transcript, you'll be able to find it. Or if you're on YouTube, you'll find it yeah. below. So uh, I think that wraps our show for today. We love hearing from you. Email us your financial worries, successes, any stories you have about job hopping at questions at ohmydollar.com or tweet us at Anomaly or at Oh My Dollar. Oh My Dollar is recorded at the X-Ray FM studios in Portland, Oregon. And 
is syndicated through PRX. This episode was engineered and edited by Tony Scholl. Our intro music was by Aaron Parecki. And your host and personal finance educator is me, Lillian Carabake. Today's episode is videographered by Chase Spross. Thanks for listening. Until next time, remember to manage your money so it doesn't manage you.